You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. It's our desire to make the kingdom of God known in Portsmouth as it is in heaven. It's good to be together, isn't it? Yes, as Josh said, we are finishing our Resilient Faith series in the next couple of weeks. And we've been looking back through the Old Testament, that first bit of the Bible, um, of everyday heroes of faith and how they've been uh, responding to the roller coaster of life. And what I love most is that they're just really ordinary people, which really helps me to feel encouraged and comforted. Um, And it's good to get into the Word, isn't it? I just feel like I really need it today. I don't know about you. (laughs) Really need to get into God's Word and, uh, yeah, find out what he's got for us this morning. So we've been talking about resilient faith, and we've got this uh, definition to help us with what resilient faith is. We say that it is a posture of our heart and our mind and our soul to remain steadfast in following Jesus while living in a culture in opposition to that pursuit. Thank you, sir. Good timing. So yeah, I'd love to pray again. Father, would you just help us as we delve into your word today to be in step with you, that we wouldn't be... uh, Yeah, coming with our own agendas, but that we would be able to hear your voice really clearly and know what it is you have to say to us this morning. Amen. Amen. So this week, we are focusing on a lovely lady called Hannah. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Samuel. Um, The verses will come up on the screen, so don't worry too much about it. We're going to delve into it in three sections. So I'm going to read you the first section, first of all. And what you'll notice here is I'm going to skip the first line, because it has lots of tricky words in it. So you'll see it on the screen. You'll know what it says. Here we go. Show me up. Put, Put the verse up on the screen, Noah, and then everyone can see how badly I can do it pronouncing things. Here we are. Basically, there was a man. His name was Elkanah. There we go. He had two wives. One of his wives was named Hannah, and the second was called Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah was childless. This man, Elkanah, would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Now hear this. This is fun. Her rival, that's Penina, the other wife, would taunt her severely just to provoke her because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah, why are you crying, her husband, Alkana would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? I mean, maybe. Maybe he's a great husband. Who knows? So what we find here is that Hannah's circumstances are far from ideal. Not only is she unable to have a child, which is heartbreaking, but actually at that time, it would have meant a great loss of dignity and would even be classed as a bit of a social death, as one commentator called it. But not only is that happening, she's also being relentlessly mocked for it. It's not very nice, is it, really? Um, She's mocked relentlessly by Arcana's second wife, Penina, and that provoking leads not only to her feeling really sad, but a really physical response as well. She's so upset that she can't eat. I feel her. I've been there. I feel like we've all probably been there, haven't we, at moments in our lives where we felt like life is far from ideal. Things are not going well. 
Perhaps we're in a place right now like that. I don't know if it's pushing you to not eating. Maybe that's a bit more extreme. But we've all been there, haven't we, where we've experienced disappointment and even hurt as well. Now, we've paused here in this point in the story because quite often we can want to whiz ahead to the end, to the miraculous end point where God comes through and everything's good. But I'm going to encourage us this morning just to pause here at this point in this time with a woman who has felt and is feeling disappointment and mocking and hurt. Because I know that in our own lives, and even maybe when we're sharing our stories with our friends and we want to encourage each other, we often rush ahead to the end, don't we? Or almost don't even share that story about what God is good doing until we feel we've got the answer at the end. But I'm feeling really encouraged today to focus in on what God is like despite circumstances. What we find here is that Hannah, year on year, it says, goes to worship the Lord spends time in prayer and worship, she has developed a resilient foundation of faith that even when her circumstances were not changing, she was still childless year after year after year. And actually, even when it got worse, when her rival started provoking her more and more and more, it didn't deter her from worshipping and from praying. This was an active choice. It was a decisive posture of her heart, her mind, and her soul to still go and spend time with God year on year, despite her circumstances. Now, this made me think a little bit of muscle building. It's not an area of expertise in my life, but I did a bit of research, and a common theory of how you build muscle strength and size is that you actually have to break down muscle in order to build it up. So there's a thing called micro-tears. Who knew? Uh, Micro-tears, where as you work a muscle through running or weightlifting, whatever it might be, actually you have little tears, and your body, in healing those tears, creates stronger, bigger muscles interesting. And it made me think that maybe that's what our prayer life can be like. That actually, in moments of tearing, of breakdown, of bad and hard things happening to us, as we lean into God and we intentionally practice prayer and worship, perhaps our muscles are getting bigger. Not physical muscles, but our strength, our ability to lean on God and look to him for uh, answers is increased. It felt, it felt to me like this was something that God created us with, this ability to develop muscle in order to run away from trouble, to run towards food, whatever it might have been at the time. And it made me think that actually all those micro tears, those moments where we lent in on God and we developed that muscle equips us for when darker and harder moments come. So I'm finding myself challenged here to think, is my faith based on circumstances? Or am I able to work out this regular rhythm, like Hannah, of prayer and worship in all seasons so that I'm equipped by God for when the harder times come? It's a challenge, isn't it, perhaps, to focus on? But I wonder too if Hannah's faith was actually also resilient because of her confidence in the character of God and of who she was when she spent time in his presence. She was confident of that. I love this old church phrase. I say it in our life group quite a lot. I'm a C of E at heart, really. God is good all the time. And then normally we would reply, who knows it? God is good all the time. 
that's it. All the time, God is good. Now, sometimes it might feel really hard to say that. I don't know about you. I've come to services before where we've said that at the beginning of the service, not here, but in previous churches I've been to, and I've just gone, nope, don't want to say it. Nope, too hard, too hard today. But actually, I wonder if that is what Hannah was clinging to as well. Her circumstance was unchanged. She went year on year on year. But I wonder if she knew of God's character that despite life not being good, God was. She will have had passed down to her orally through tradition of passing on stories, um, tales of how good God's character had been. So she would have had it passed down from her ancestors about how uh, God enabled Joseph to turn rubbish situations in his life, we learned about it a few weeks ago, into good. How he equipped Moses, even though he was fearful and weak, to enable him to release the Israelites from captivity. And she would have heard the stories of God being alongside the Israelites as they wandered the wilderness, giving them everything that they needed. So these stories will have built up a picture of God's character in her mind. It's something we do, isn't it? It's one of the reasons we come together in congregation on a Sunday and in life groups throughout the week to encourage each other of the stories of God's goodness. Because in those moments where it doesn't feel very good we can look back on the, on the character of God and how he sees us as well. Now, not only would she have had these stories that would have built up um, this picture of the character of God in her mind, but the very nature of spending that regular time in prayer and worship with God creates relationship. We know that, don't we? That If, if we're trying to have a relationship with someone or a good friendship with someone, if we don't spend time with them, it's not going to be a very good relationship, is it? But by just spending time with God, year on year on year, despite her circumstances, despite the mocking, she was getting to know God personally and being known personally by Father God as well. And that feels like a challenge to me too. When we spend time in prayer, are we often coming with an outcomes list? Are we hopeful that he's going to outwork uh, a list of things that we need? Or can we find joy and comfort and even just purpose in itself in just spending time in the presence of God? Now, we can be assured that prayer is powerful, that Father God cares deeply for his children and he loves to come alongside us when we cry out and when we share our petitions and we bring our needs to him. But I often find myself coming back to that reminder that the Bible never said that although God is good, the Bible never said life would be good. The Bible never said that everything would be easy and that there would be comfort and security In fact, Jesus says in um, John 16, he actually said, in this world, you will have trouble. He laid it out for us. I mean, thankfully, the second verse says, but don't worry, I've overcome the world. So that's good. But he warned us, trouble's coming. We will have trouble. And unfortunately, that is one of those things we have to grapple with, that we live in this messy middle of the now and the not yet. We live in a world, don't we, where we know that God can perform miracles, but we have to weigh that up regularly with the fact that we see it doesn't happen all the time. 
Now, unanswered prayer is a really big subject. I'm not going to try and grapple with it today. Um, I would really commend to you the book God on Mute, which is by a guy called Pete Gregg, who started the 24-7 prayer movement. Um, and Josh actually did a preach on this out back in October. We're going to send around the link to that because it really works through the nitty-gritty of unanswered prayer in a lot more detail um, so that I won't try and do that today. But do check that out another time. But the thing is, is that I've experienced that myself, that thing of unanswered prayer, that thing of grappling with God. I am by no means a prayer warrior, and I'm really encouraged and challenged because our church is full of them. It's really cool. And looking back in these stories of other prayer warriors, I'm encouraged, but I'm also challenged. Like Hannah, I can think of these circumstances where I have been pouring out my anguish to God. And I've found silence sometimes. I think of a particular circumstance where I was crying out. I was on my knees and I was begging God to act and to move. And there was no overnight miracle. In fact, there was no short-term miracle, medium-term or long-term miracle, it would appear. 18 years later, we're still struggling with this situation that I've been praying for for so long. And you know what? I was really cross. I was really angry about it. I was really cross. I almost gave up on prayer entirely, almost gave up on God entirely. But do you know what? As time passed, and although that circumstance didn't change, and in fact, 18 years on, we're still there in lots of ways. What I found was it wasn't wasted. That time wasn't wasted. As I cried out to God and I was vulnerable and laid it all out to him, I learned more of God's character. And I learned more about who he saw me to be when I was in his presence, just like Hannah here as well. And so actually, when those harder times came later in life, when miscarriage came, or when my mum's cancer returned and she eventually passed away last summer, I was able to say that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Life is not good all the time, but God is good all the time. And, (laughs) sorry, I had to cling to Psalm 23, which I think will come up on the screen one of the lines and it says even when I go through the darkest valley I will fear no danger for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me it doesn't say even if I go through the valley it says even when it's been promised we know it's coming we know that hard times will come but God is with me so it's good So as we read on, let's get to the second section of Hannah. I love to eke out that first bit because I don't want us to rush on. Second section. Let's see that Hannah does exactly the same thing. So we've got 1 Samuel 1, and we're going from verse 9. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple, deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept many tears. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you will take notice of your servant's affliction, remember me, uh, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord of all all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. And Eli thought she was drunk, and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer, 
I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. And Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you have made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way and she ate and no longer looked despondent. So what we can see here is that not only does Hannah practice a regular rhythm of prayer and she also has this deep knowledge of God's character, but also that relationship that she's built up with him has meant that she can pour out her soul. She brings it all. She lays it bare. There's nothing held back. She's vulnerable with God. It says here that she weeps bitterly and she expresses her deep anguish, so much so that she looks drunk. I mean, she's holding nothing back. It's good to know. And it's good to know that we can pour out our hearts to God too. There's nothing we need to hold back. We don't need to come as a a well-put-together person. We can come with all our messiness and all of our sadness and concerns. And what's encouraging is that actually at this moment, if we just pause here briefly on um, verse 17 and 18, She's prayed, she's poured it out, but her circumstances have not yet changed, right? She's still in the state of not having children. She's still not necessarily sure that God will actually come through. She might be praying in that way that um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did when they were faced with the fiery furnace. My God can, but even if he doesn't, I still believe. Maybe she's praying like that. Because what we see is, first of all, an immediate response from God. The priest says, may you go in peace. Oh, that's encouraging, isn't it? That even as we've poured it out, what we immediately receive from God, maybe not an answer to prayer, maybe not an immediate change of circumstance, but peace is on offer for us immediately as we bring our stuff to God. And then what was Hannah's first response? Straight away, it says, uh, Hannah went on her way and she ate and no longer looked despondent. I love the way that God does that. He works not only through spiritual things, but also practical things like a snack. Good times, yeah? I love a snack and I think it's a really good thing to remember that we can help ourselves sometimes as well. Um, but do you know what? The other thing she did straight after that, as we look into our next section, I'm just going to whiz ahead to verse 19. It says, The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship for the Lord. The next morning, nothing has changed yet. She gets up and worships anyway. Early in the morning as well. I mean, I just want to be in bed. Early in the morning, she gets up and she worships. Nothing has changed yet. All she's done is poured out her soul. But she's going faithfully anyway to worship God, which is awesome. But going back to that sense of pouring out again, I wonder... As we see that Hannah, as she pours out her soul, as she lays out her bitter anguish to the Lord, we're invited to do that. And I wonder if there are sometimes things that we hold back from God. Maybe it's stuff that we've never thought to bring to God before. Maybe we've never thought of bringing anything to God before. Maybe this is the first time you've thought about that. What an amazing welcome and opportunity we're given, this invitation to lay it all out in front of God. But maybe there are things also that we've been praying for year after year after year, and we've lost it. We've just lost that sense of faith. We've lost that resilience in prayer. Maybe today we could be responding to that invitation again. But what if, yeah, we're still struggling? We just can't find it within ourselves to do it. Well, actually, look around us. We're in a family of God, right? 
I learned last week, went to an English heritage place, it was great, that when squires are just about to be knighted, they're invited to go to the abbey. I'm saying this is not modern day, just so you know, this is back in medieval times. They were invited to go to the abbey and they were supposed to spend the night contemplating the very big honour that's just about to be bestowed upon them. And they were invited to kneel and pray for the entire night. It's quite a long time, isn't it? It's quite a long time. But do you know what I was encouraged by? They said that actually squires quite often would get some pages, some other younger folk or some others that are around them, to help them. And so I saw this lovely image. So my son Finn was able to dress up as a knight and he was, he was kneeling there on the floor about to be knighted. And they got two other people to come and stand next to him to just nudge him, just nudge him. Every time he started falling asleep, every time he started giving up, come on, keep going, you can do it, you can do it. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the church, that we can be like that for each other. When we are running out of faith and we're running out of resilience, let's look to each other for that support in coming back to God year after year after year. So what happens next? Let's move on to the final section in Samuel 1 verse 20 onwards. It says this. Yeah. So at the end of verse 19, let's just go back to that one because it's quite a key bit. It says, the next morning Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterwards, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. Key bit of information. Shouldn't rush past that. So in verse 20, it says, after some time. So I would wonder again if it again wasn't an overnight miracle perhaps, but she stayed in her rhythm of prayer um, and worship anyway. But after some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh, as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said. As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And then he worshipped the Lord there. So here we see that Hannah demonstrates this resilient faith through obedience even when it means extreme personal sacrifice. So she's had this relationship with God. She's lent into him when times were bad. She's come to him with her petitions. She's laid it all out for him. And then, in this particular case, uh, the desires of her heart are granted. And this is when it comes to call. She goes back to that temple and I'm going to read into it that the priest doesn't recognize her, that he maybe doesn't know who she is, she could get away with it. She could just not go. She could just not take the son. She could not introduce herself to the priest when she got there. But in fact, she makes herself known and follows through with the promise that she has made to the Lord. We know now, don't we, that Hannah trusted God all the way through her life. 
And this is the moment when that trust really comes into play. She's choosing here to trust God with everything, quite literally everything, giving back to God the thing that she most wanted in the first place. But it was because she trusted that God would have an even better plan for Samuel and for herself. And thankfully, she was right. Because as we whiz on in 1 Samuel 3, 19, it actually shows us that Samuel went on to be used by God to change a nation. So you can see it here. Samuel grew. The Lord was with him and he fulfilled everything Samuel proph- prophesied. This is, we've skipped ahead a bit in the story here. But all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. And the Lord continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. So if she'd have not given Samuel back to the Lord, then what would life have looked like for her? Maybe it would have been okay. But in this case, it was better than okay, wasn't it? And I wonder if that's our final challenge, that as God does come through, perhaps there is that answer to our prayer. Will we then grab it tight and keep it tight to ourselves? Or will we remember to give it back to God each time, to pray a blessing and release it back to him and say, let your will be done. Which areas perhaps have we held back from God in our lives? It's a challenge, isn't it? Do we truly trust that he knows better than us? That he has a better plan for us? Or are we continually just saying, so God, I'd like this, 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 and this. Oh, you've not done it? I'm disappointed. Maybe, maybe that's the way we're going into prayer. But Hannah is challenging us to take it a different way. Perhaps we've seen the hand of God. And as I was referring to earlier, this sense of not rushing to the end and only acknowledging God at the miracle point, but actually acknowledging the character of God and the constant protection and comfort of God throughout our circumstances. Have we recognized him? Or at the minute that we're at the mountaintop, have we forgotten about him again? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because we often want to pray away our rough times. That when we're in the valley moments, we're often going, God, come on, make it easier for me. Make my life easier. But have you noticed that in the valley, that's the moment that we're talking to God, that we're spending time with God. And the minute that it's gone, we quite often then go, oh, brilliant, cool, crack on with my life. Maybe the valley moments are the moments that we need to spend time with God in order to create a deeper relationship with him. Now, Over all of these different things, just as I close, what we've noticed is that Hannah has resilient prayer and worship throughout her life. That in the moment of unanswered prayer, she was praying and worshipping. In her anguish, she was praying and worshipping. In leaving it all in God's hands, when she came and laid it all out, she was praying and worshipping. And then when she received what she asked for, she prayed and worshipped again. It was the first thing she did. And then when she released it back to God, the hardest thing of all, guess what she did? She prayed and worshipped again. In chapter two, we won't read it now, but I think there's a little tiny snippet of it uh, perhaps, but it's Hannah's first response, having given up her son to the Lord, was to pray and worship. It's a really challenging phrase. She says, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. Wow just given up my son but I'm gonna say to God you are good you are the one I want to focus on it feels like a bit of a challenge all of this I have to say (sighs) have we been able to uh yeah feel the word of the Lord on us as we've been listening this morning because as we wrap up now and I'm going to invite the worship team to come up we 
have an opportunity to respond today. Perhaps you're feeling challenged that there's stuff you've kept tight, that you haven't poured out to the Lord. You haven't responded to that invitation just yet to bring it all, all the anguish, all of the bitterness, and to lay it at the foot of the cross. And we've got the cross here, symbolic, but it's a reminder again of the love that God has for us and the way that he stands with us throughout circumstances. There's nothing special about this mat, but perhaps there's an invitation to get up out of your seat and to come and respond and lay it all at the feet of, foot of the cross. But also for some of us, I don't know if you came to the prayer week a few weeks ago, um, there was this lovely cairn here, which was a a Celtic tradition of um, making a real statement about remembering the goodness of God, remembering the acts um, of God's goodness throughout our lives. So perhaps for you, you're thinking, actually, do you know what? God did come through. There was a breakthrough for me, and I don't know that I turned it back to God again. And this could be your moment to grab a stone from this box and pray over it as you place it here as an encouragement. As we see this thing being filled up, we know that God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. But I'm going to add an extra challenge there, that it's not just at the finishing point that you might want to come and say God is good all the time. It might be that actually as you prayed in the valley and you felt the closeness of God and the comfort of the Father, that is a reason to thank God too, right? That's a reason to come back to God. So perhaps your stone is representing that, not the finished piece, but the goodness of God regardless. Come and place that stone there if you'd like to. And last of all, I wonder if you're feeling challenged to turn all of these things back to praise. Obviously, we're going to be singing in worship here, but perhaps you might want to express your praise in another way. Why don't we do that today? Let it be an overflow of the heart as we're saying thank you to the Father for what he's done. As we come and we lay it out, we pour it out, we give it back, and as we praise him. If there's anything from the teaching that challenged you, please know that we're praying for you and would love to support you. If you need any help or support, please email pastoral at thekings.church. God bless you. See you soon.